everyone, and welcome to another Delta Green Operation Review. I am your host, Nate, and today I'm joined with... Innkeeper Vaisonen from the Twisted Tentacle Inn. And today we're going to be looking at the last operation that we have yet to look at in Delta Green Black Sites, which is Hourglass, written by Shane Ivey. Yeah, and it takes place in Oregon, which is where I live. So... If any players are out there and they're looking to experience this scenario for themselves, well, unfortunately, we're going to be spoiling everything. <laughs> so send your handler this way and we will see you all in our next episode. But if you like this content and you want to see the channel grow, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. That really helps us out a lot. Now, Vase, how are the agents uh, brought into this uh, operation? Well, um, Delta Green recruits the agents to investigate a strange video that has gone viral. Uh, apparently, there's a lady that's in a park, uh, very busy. There's a lot of people around. A kid is recording the video. She seems nervous. She's rambling. And then she just disappears in front of everybody's eyes. And this kid wants some internet fame. He calls himself Raw Dog and uploads the video it goes viral and now delta green is kind of scrambling because this seems like a legitimate video they've run it through several different uh, uh programs and several different experts and it seems like it has not been doctored like it is a legitimate uh incursion so delta green is uh basically trying to make the video seem like it's a fake uh so that it doesn't cause panic and then they're trying to contain all the information about it first investigate what's going on and then um contain it if, if it's some kind of unnatural incursion uh that scenario starts with the video so you're you're as a handler initially describing the video that they're watching in narrative form it's a different and interesting start to the scenario because your agents are already in the meeting room, there's no calling them in and all that stuff. They're already there. And the scenario starts with just you reading or narrating what's going on in the video, then the video shut off, and at that point, the briefing begins. Sorry, very cool beginning right from the get-go. It's a very cool beginning, very, very cool way to, to start the scenario. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially it, if it, you're it, able to like, I don't know, make like a fake video or something. That would be awesome. That would be a really cool way to start the scenario, for sure. If you're if you're good with making video, make something like that, where it's like you can just start with your table of players and just hit play. And then when the video ends, start the briefing for the agents and then tell them what they need to do. Really, really cool. I agree with you. Yeah, if we, uh, if we happen to find anything like that, I will be sure to put that in the, in the description below. But... Um, like you said, the, the agents will be shown the video and then their briefing will happen right there, right then and there. And yeah. depending on what um, what side of Delta Green they're on, whether they're a part of the outlaws or part of the program, will uh, differ how they go about their investigation, which is always cool to see. I like when operations uh, give give notes about running a different style of campaign, depending on what yeah. faction they're aligned with. <clears throat> Especially for the outlaws, it, it feels like sometimes they get put to the side and not given as much in terms of uh, what to do with them in, in certain operations. Mm -hmm. So I, I do like when they kind of incorporate that a little bit more, you know. The agents are then sent to Hourglass, Oregon, which is a small town 
it's typical small town, very religious, very like self-contained and uh, very, very rural. Uh, and the players are sent there to begin their investigation as to what happened here. When they arrive, they meet several community leaders, including uh, the police and some of the some of the people from the church, that local church, which is called the uh, uh, Sons of Seravos, Seravos, Seranos, Seranos, the Sons of Seranos. So they get to meet uh, people, leaders from the town, and they probably will be initially trying to meet up with the community leaders before they go deeper into this, the individuals that witnessed the event and things like that. Um, right away, you can tell this scenario is going to be a very, very open-ended scenario. It is a huge sandbox uh, in every sense of the word. This scenario, more than any other Delta Green scenario that I've read so far, is extremely open and extremely sandbox. Absolutely. With the agent's primary objective to be to uh, essentially cover up any any loose ends that the video might have, whether it's, you know, uh, trying to find evidence of it being a fake and kind of um, frauding out Raw Dog for, for just being another internet influencer or... Um, you know, perhaps finding the real cause of the threat and suppressing it that way. How the how the agents go about their investigation is very open ended, like they said. So, right from the get go, we're we're in for another sandbox, and that means that as the handler, you're going to have to be well prepared to run this operation. When the agents arrive, if they decide to go to the police, the police already think the video is a fake, so they're not going to offer much in terms of help. But because the agents are kind of injecting themselves into aspects of the community that are a little more secretive, like the Sons of Serenos, there are people who are part of the police department that have connections or members, and there are corrupt police officers. So if the agents are initially when they arrive, if they're trying to contact the police for a little bit of help or make a connection there um, for additional, you know, um, support and things like that, they're actually going to be shooting themselves in the foot because they're going to catch the attention uh, of the Sons of Serenos much earlier than they actually need to. There's also uh, another group that the agents could potentially run into um, that we'll, we'll explain a bit more in detail a bit later, but needless to say, oh yeah. the Sons of Serenos are not the only group that the agents will have to be uh, cautious of while in the town of Hourglass. <laughs> There are a lot of secrets in the town of Hourglass. So um, they basically they um, they can start if they if they want the agents can start by trying to investigate the victim who disappeared. She's been identified as Terry Santos, and so they can try and look into her and her family or connections to her. So she had some friends, her husband as well, or she has three marriages. Um, yeah, she was married twice, and the. The agents can pretty easily find out most of this information uh, even before they arrive at Hourglass. They can um, they can do their own preliminary research, or as the handler, you can kind of give them kind of a quick briefing on on Terry Santos and the the kid that filmed the video himself, who who calls himself Raw Dog, but lives in this town. And you can have the agents either um, interview him or do some research about who this kid is. Yeah. So if they if they go into Terry Santos's connections, 
they're not going to find too much. They'll find a couple of things, uh, like an involvement with uh, the church, uh, but really not much else. Uh, there's not a whole lot to go with in terms of contacting her friends or her ex-husband. Her, her ex-husband seems very like dismissive of her, and he, just, he says something like he couldn't tolerate her failures or something like that, but doesn't expand on that, even if he's pressed on it. There are a, a couple of friends who can give a little bit more. Uh, it's basically, one of her friends, one of Terry Santos's friends, says that she was suspicious of the Church of the Twelve Martyrs, which Terry was a member of, uh, and the she didn't like how they were how they were run and she felt something was off about them and that Terry seemed to have changed when she uh, got involved with them. So that could lead the agents into going deeper into finding out about the Church of the Twelve Martyrs. Um, they can also, the agents can also go in and like you mentioned, talk to Raw Dog. How does Raw Dog react to the agents talking to him? So initially Raw Dog will try to just play it off like he faked the video and you know he's just doing it to get some attention online because he you know he's trying to be an online influencer. But uh, if the agents have any decent um, social skills, they'll be able to tell pretty quickly that he's lying and he's he's covering up uh, what actually happened, which. Um, basically summed up the police showed up to his house and threatened him about uh saying anything about the video or or else his family and him would be hurt without saying it so much so so he's basically just trying to cover his own ass at this point and the agents the agents can pretty easily glean this information from him um, yeah he caves pretty easily he's He's uh he wanted the fame and, and then once he started to get nor notoriety and getting the attention of unwanted individuals, he realized that maybe it wasn't as glamorous as he expected it to be. Mm -hmm. And the police essentially tell him that the Church of the Twelve Martyrs uh would not would not take kindly to him saying things about the video. So so yeah. he's essentially scared shitless. Uh, from this threat from the police and he he basically just lays low from that point and yeah. that's unfortunately there's not really much that they can find other than him being another link to the church exactly and then uh the agents can also try and interview people who were there there were a lot of people in the video is a, a busy park uh, where this lady disappeared so they can try and find out who those people are and try to interrogate them but they're not going to come up with a tremendous amount of information from them. Basically, the biggest lead that's going to uh, that's going to happen for them is the Church of the Twelve Martyrs and Terry Santos's involvement in that. Um, but as they're going around investigating and questioning people, they continue to attract the attention of the members of the church as well as some of the local police. Now, we mentioned earlier, this is a very sandboxy and open-ended scenario. So the agents can basically do what they want in the town of Arglass. They can even try and um, infiltrate the church and try to get in there and uh, ask questions of the Church of the Twelve Martyrs and the Sons of Serenos. So uh, what happens if they go into the church? Like, what are some of the things that can occur, some of the information that they can find? So when they first arrive at the church, they'll be greeted. Um, they'll be greeted by Aero Salzo, who is the the current leader of the church and who they call the host. 
Um, Errol is a 50-year-old man who... He presents himself very charismatically when the agents first arrive. He's willing to show them around the facility and he kind of goes into some detail about their goings-on and uh, offers to have them come to a service on a Saturday night. And apart from, from that, he seems normal upon first glance, but depending on how the agents react or what they ask him, he can take a very dark and sinister tone very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Um, if the agents happen to ask him about the occult or the unnatural and they're unskilled in these manners, he will essentially play them off as being fools of things that they don't understand. Um, and if they are skilled in these matters, he, he drops all pretense pretty quickly and he... He asks them why they're really here, and depending on how the agents um, react to to that, he'll he'll either have his his men round them up and kidnap them and capture them, or he will try to go to more extreme lands. Yeah, so that's that can happen, uh, but generally you're probably not going to want to have him react that way until much later unless the agents really press on it but initially they won't have too too many reasons to press him too much early on um if they if they're smart if they're playing it smart they're gonna be friendly initially and try to get information from the church and about the church which the church is honestly willing to open up about you know they're they're pretty open about some of their um rituals and things like that nothing nothing out of the ordinary just a little strange uh, they give some information, uh, some records information, and there are several other members of the church that are willing to help and give whatever information. Again, as long as uh, it, they don't dig too deep. Um, the church is also very popular online as well, so it has a pretty global presence as well, and that's how it receives most of its funding through donations and through yeah. uh, through people actually living on the facility. Yeah, and. And the, the agents can get even a tour. They can be invited, like you said, to a service. So, you know, the church is very friendly early on. I'm almost a little too friendly. And then, uh, so there's uh, another person there, uh, Rio Salzo. So she is um, the mother of Errol Salzo the third. She she does, the, like, the financial affairs of the church. Um, and she actually gives a little bit more information <laughs> Uh, initially to the agents, but uh, she keeps detailed notes of a bunch of stuff that involved the disappearance of Terry. And if the players d uh, dig too deep into it, she will be sh uh, shredding some of that information. So they have to be careful with how they interact with her as well. And another option that the that the operation lines out is that the players could potentially try to join the church, like Vase was saying earlier. While this is certainly a potential possibility that handlers might want to do, the operation says that it would take over a year for them to even become a member, let alone live on on campus or on the facility itself. So I wouldn't recommend handlers do this very slow drip with this scenario um, mm. for reasons we'll get into later but I, if you're wanting the players to have this sort of experience I don't think that this operation is sort of uh, 
infiltrate from the inside and take out you know the mm -hmm. organization that way at least yeah there isn't a lot outlined for the players to be able to realistically do that so i would i would try to steer my players away from that option just yeah maybe say like like have their case handler call them and say like you you don't have time for this you have other things to do like you can't spend months and months in this random town <laughs> yeah exactly so and they're you know they're gonna have to consider their real lives as well so the scenario suggests or the operation suggests that you you run this over the course of several uh several sessions and I think depending on how the operation goes and what the players find out that that can it can either be a session or it can be six sessions. So it's really going to depend on how you want to run this operation. But other information that can be gleaned from the church itself on on its first initial visiting, because I think you're going to want the players to visit the church multiple times. Um, unlike yeah. other operations, this one you're going to kind of want the church to be a, a central figure in what's going on. So Exactly. So yeah, they, you, you don't want to push them to, to try and uh, be too aggressive with it early on because, like you said, little you want to get information, leave, research somewhere else, and then come back and question again. Like that, that would work out much better than a full-on... <laughs> you know assault into the church or even just an infiltration attempt that's just too slow so there's a fine line with it with how to how to handle the church mm. so they can you know they can interview robert santos who was terry santos's most uh recent husband and now widow widower uh he he is not very forthcoming and like face said he's he's just going to essentially just um confined in his faith in the church and say that you know terry terry lost faith and that's why she's gone now and um he won't really won't really go into much detail but the the players can learn that they had a son and if the agents can can persuade uh robert santos to go into more detail about it they can eventually learn that a lot of the children on on campus are all men yeah they're all male children they're all male children and he claims that he's not the father of their child and that the host no. is so so if the agents go that route and they're able to obtain this information which is blocked from some pretty difficult roles uh, if they're able to glean this information then this is where uh, the agents kind of start to further dig into the church's past and um, can can start to really figure out what's going on in this operation. Yeah. And once they start figuring out what's happening, um, well, oh, one more thing uh, before we get to that. There are a couple of red herrings in this scenario. So, like, one of them is the church is actually built. It's in a compound. There's a compound for the church. But it's built near um, an ancient cave that the, I guess, the ancient or the the natives before uh, would call the cave of the great bat. And there were uh, these local legends about this great bat that lived in the cave and uh, the natives worshipped it and did certain rituals for it. Um, unfortunately, that whole thing with the great bat is a huge red herring. <laughs> so it has nothing to do with the scenario at all. It's basically just... 
the uh, the scenario's way of leading the agents in a different direction that's just going to be a dead end. Yeah, um, there is also a couple of other um, key details as well that they could find out in town. Um, there are other local legends as well. There's been a lot of weird like UFO abductions and Bigfoot sightings and just strange things like that kind of surrounding the town to help the handler give a, a creepy vibe to this town. But as far as the Great Bat goes, while it is a bit of a red herring, it does at least uh, provide the the agents with some information about one of the uh, former former leaders of this church um, coming from a book called Rogue River Adventures, which was a book written uh, about the California gold rush. And in it, um, they find they find two names. They find Giles Root and the Salzo Logging Company, uh, which were established in the area, you know, over a over 150 years ago. Yeah, and uh, this starts to lead the agents into realizing that some of the members of this church are either way older than they should be, or there are, there seems to be connections to to this church with a lot of things in the past. So why don't we go into the actual background of the Sons of Serenos and the Church of the Twelve Martyrs, because I think to understand the rest of the plot, we, we should be going over how how this group got into the area in the first place. The host, as he's known now, is actually Gal's Root, and he is uh, a sorcerer from way back. Uh, they were they're called the Sons of Serenos, and he has possessed body after body. So he's been living for a long time by taking over the bodies of different descendants uh, for several hundred years and uh, they started in New England they were like a cult of warlocks or sorcerers and basically they during the Salem witch trials uh, something happened what was it that happened during the Salem witch trials they they had to run from from New England right yeah so they were trying to find a translation of the Necronomicon and eventually one of their allies um, was killed and he died and that eventually led them to flee towards uh, towards Oregon and to the west. And eventually they, they wind up in this area of Hourglass. And they find um, the indigenous tribe of the Takalma, who worship this spirit called the Great Bat, who actually um, ends up being an aspect of Shubnigarath, worshipped by a hidden clutch of Shugas. And... <laughs> and the other sons of Serenos eventually gather up in this area and they form the Church of the Twelve Martyrs. They ended up um, basically uh, siring a son with Shubnigroth named Silence. So it's a half Shoggoth, half human thing. It's just basically a blob of, of mouths and stuff um, that has also been living in the church uh, and is... It can it can sit silently and motionless, so it looks like a some kind of a stone or you know or, or ornament of some kind. But it's actually a creature named Silence, <laughs> so that's pretty scary and uh, comes into play later on in the scenario. It does, and mm. the other sons of Serenos eventually also learn the ability to transfer their bodies in, or transfer their spirits into other bodies. And they too have since been 
living on uh, since this original uh, incident hundreds uh, over a hundred years ago and these um, these people have taken on different names you know given hundreds of years and they still live around town and are members of the church and they will eventually start tailing the investi or tailing the agents and tracking their moves and kind of sabotaging their investigation one way or the other and what's what's crazy is they're because they're taking bodies uh, at an early age some of them are children basically or they look like children but they're not and one one particular one is the 12 year old Jake Elliott. He's the son of Hank Elliott and Liza Elliott, who are members of the Church of the Twelve Martyrs. He was fathered by the host, Errol Zalzo. And uh, he is really, really evil. <laughs> he He's one of the ones that the agents will probably end up facing in, near the end. Um, and in reality, he is Samuel Woodman, one of the sorcerers who has taken the body of Jake Elliott. And there's another one. There's a 20-year-old named Andy Welks, who's actually Nicholas Heaton, also an, a, another sorcerer. So there's there's quite a few people who uh, are not who they seem because they've now been taken over. They've been possessed by the uh, consciousness of these sorcerers, I guess. And and like you said, the, the 12-year-old is the one that ends up tailing the agents. Once they start asking too many questions, he will begin to tell them and follow them and it doesn't seem because he's a 12 year old boy it doesn't seem as uh you know as strange you know it could just be a curious child following them if they if they happen to notice him which they might not but uh once they get too uh too close then the church starts to use their connections in the town and specifically the police department yeah they're gonna have the police you know threaten threaten the agents and pretty much do everything they can to to prosecute the agents with all might of the law astute agents will be able to to glean some some pretty strange information if they're able to um look on their website look on the church's website they'll be able to find a close-up photo of some weird wooden altar with a bunch of names inscribed on it and if they're able to uh, you know, able to find this image and look closely at it, they'll find a bunch of the names of these former um, former members. Um, some of them we've already mentioned: Samuel Woodman, Silence Root, Giles Root, um, and a and a few others that um, you could potentially sprinkle in as well. But there are some other there are other ways that they could find these names as well, whether it's searching through local records or. Um, finding the names through the Witch Trials of the Miskatonic, which was what you were alluding to earlier, Vase, which is a book in the library that they can find, as well as um, a church recording and a few other uh, key handouts that they can find in the library as well. And the, the church recording is going to let them listen to someone speaking with an accent that sounds very, very much like uh, Gauss Root. Or it's Gal's Root, but it sounds like... Uh, Errol Salzo. Errol yeah. Salzo, who is Gal's Root. So they can maybe make that connection where the accent and the intonation and the voice sounds way too close to Errol Salzo when, they, when they're listening to that church uh, tape. Yeah, and 
Well, that is certainly strange in and of itself. While the man sounds like Aerosol, so that's not really the strange part of the recording. What? While the sermon sounds mundane and normal at first, it quickly slips into a uh, a gift of gab sort of situation where everyone starts speaking in tongues, and some people start screaming and praying to god and all this other sorts of weird stuff and then suddenly he switches back to english and he he quotes this uh passage from second thessalonians and then all of a sudden there's just silence and there's nothing for over an hour yeah just almost like everyone just kind of suddenly went vanished. into a trance yeah. or vanished or something and then about an hour hour after that point suddenly the the noise comes back and you they start screaming about the holiest of holies and the ark of the sabbath revealing its glory and um you know some of the people start having bouts of madness some are coughing and sneezing and crying and uh, reactions very wildly throughout this the ending of the recording and then it just suddenly stops yeah it's it's all very creepy <laughs> The tape, I like the tape because it's it kind of gives this this creepy vibe to the church, and you start to realize, okay, something really, really strange is going on here. And I like that it it connects um it connects the church to the video. It it gives a, a yeah. players a, the reason, like, oh, okay, like she disappeared, so they must have this ability to like transport people or something, which is scary to say the least yeah yeah the other thing that the one of the things that the church is going to do uh to thwart the agents is one of my favorite parts of any delta green scenario uh so once they get the cops involved the corrupt cops involved to kind of uh try and thwart the agents themselves uh if things aren't deterring them eventually the cops go to some major <laughs> major alternatives which are crazy there is a small a drug problem in the town of hourglass so there is a little bit of a, a meth issue so there are some uh nefarious characters that the cops deal with uh there is this particular family the robinsons who are a meth producing family and they call them the meth meth family robinson so while the agents are in their in their room uh, in their hotel, uh, the police end up setting up an ambush. Basically, they have the meth family Robinson go in, and the agents end up in basically a firefight with the meth family Robinson, who were tricked into going there by the cops. And then the cops show up, and their their plan is. They're just going to kill everybody. They'll, they'll kill the meth family and they'll kill the agents and just say that it was a drug war or something like that. Or they were in the line of fire and just ended up getting shot. So this could be a very, very deadly encounter for the agents. But it could lead to a really, really cool interaction because of this uh, meth family. <laughs> um, and and it's, it's a brutal way of, of handling the agents. Uh, so it, it really goes to show how far the church will go to try and stop anyone from interfering with their plans and their plots. Yeah, and the operation suggests that this is an optional encounter, but I would really recommend that handlers interject this little piece because it's, one, 
one of the only pieces of, or scenes of action throughout the entire um, throughout the entire operation. There isn't really much use for weapons or um, combat skills in this operation apart from this scene. So if any agents took skills like that, I would certainly be considering that. And then the other reason is just it provides narrative tension. You know, this scenario yeah. has this, a way of creating a very slow burn and you want to give your players this roller coaster of emotions. So this is a great yep. way to, you know, raise the tension of the scenario before you let it back down and then up for the final climax. Yeah, it could lead to a very deadly encounter, though, and there it could end up causing the death of a few agents. So be prepared for that if, if it does occur. Uh, <laughs> because it's, I mean... It's just the way it is. Whenever guns come out in Delta Green, someone's going to die. And it very well could be one or more of the agents. And uh, so once this happens, I mean, this will probably lead the agents to really speed up their their interrogation so or their, their research into this church and eventually try and take them down much more quickly. Because I, I think this serves also not just um, the things that you said, Nate, but also to help speed along uh the operation if things are starting to get into a lull you bring this in and once you bring this this in the agents know they're in danger every minute that they stay in this town so they're going to want to end this quickly so once this happens with the meth family they will more than likely try and just go into the church and just confront them head on <laughs> which could end to could which could lead to the end of the scenario at that point so oh, it's a good way for the agents if they're not careful in the end of the agents yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure for sure yeah, because once they get to the church, if they end up confronting the church or bad things start to happen, uh, they will uh, eventually get into a major scuffle. And I don't know that any even experienced agent is going to be able to handle as many of the of the Church of Serenos or the Sons of Serenos. <laughs> no, no, um, no, 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 no. I don't think <laughs> I don't think you're yeah. living once. Once they capture you, which is a very real possibility for the agents, unfortunately, in this scenario, uh, which yeah. we'll, which we'll get into a bit more later. But um, like you said, they'll they'll be led to investigate the church, and once they start poking their nose where it doesn't belong, not only is uh, Jake Ellie going to start tailing them, but another one of them is going to start casting spells. Uh, they're going to start casting obscure memory and um, possession over over the agents and try to, uh, you know, make them think other things or possess their bodies and make them do things they're not going to want to do. So yeah. the church gets very deadly very quickly. And then, of course, there's always Silence Root who can come out. <laughs> and he is just a horror so he is very powerful, very uh, nearly impossible to to defeat, and can can kill agents very very easily. It's a silence root is a abomination, and for good reason. Agents are probably not going to want to face it head on. <laughs> Which is interesting yeah. because they might not have the choice depending on their actions. So silence root is um, he's worshipped as this stone altar within the main church of the the church of the 12 martyrs complex and depending on how things go with Aero Salzo and in their initial conversation he may just summon silence and kill them 
So handlers, you gotta be careful with that one because silence is a deadly creature. <laughs> so I would be careful with implementing him for sure. Yeah, yeah. It, it could end the scenario of if the agents try to face silence, forget it. <laughs> That's That can end the, the scenario right there. But there was one aspect that you had alluded to earlier, which is Rhea Salzo's uh, journal that she keeps in her in her office. And if agents are are lucky enough and they they find uh, this journal without um, without it being torn to shreds, they can find out that Rhea Salzo has been uh, pretty much grooming all of the women on the complex to give birth to male children. And if they if the children aren't male, then she has a stash of drugs that she gives them to force abortions. Yeah, which is brutal. Oh, my God. <laughs> so so we learn a very dark piece of information. And, and if the investigators choose to to follow up with that, you know, with uh, social services or what have you, uh, they get essentially roadblocked the social services will say that's weird but there's no there's no proof of you don't have any like solid proof of that even despite them having this evidence if that's the case um so so there's that interesting piece of information which ties you know um terry and her son ultimately to aerosalzo who has been uh who has been producing male basically successors so that he can possess their bodies in this strange ritual that he brings people to a, a secret hidden um, part of the church's complex uh, which if the agents are unlucky enough they will be captured and brought to the same complex and have this ritual committed on them yeah which which yeah. I, I think would probably spell the end of the agents and the scenario right then and there. Again, <laughs> there are many places in the scenario where they, that could spell the end of the scenario and the agents. This is a, I mean, it's it's probably gonna play out as a very long scenario, and you're probably going to end up having a few agents die throughout different portions of it. So even if it takes several sessions, you may have some agents have have to make new or some players make new agents even halfway through the scenario because a lot of these things can happen early or they can happen late. It just depends. It's just the way uh, this sandbox runs. Uh, anything can happen at any point in the scenario. We had mentioned the Necronomicon earlier um, in this operation, but if the agents continue their search throughout the complex and they find Salzo's Bible, they'll actually figure out that there are excerpts from John Dee's translation of the Necronomicon throughout his Bible, uh, making mention of Shubnigaroth and other sorts of organic life. And um, they'll eventually find uh, find a, a passage about Deep Ones, and then that leads them to researching Insmith, and this scenario ties into Ex Oblivione. Yeah, which is really cool. I love that that there's a tie to another scenario because you can literally make this like a precursor to Ex Oblivione, which is a scenario that um, I think would run really well in tandem with the, or, or after this one. 
uh, in succession to this one. Uh, and what's cool is Ex Oblivione has a lot of ties to the beginnings of Delta Green, the origins of Delta Green. In that scenario, agents can dig deep and potentially find out some of the darker history of Delta Green. And this scenario with what their findings here, agents can initially get that bug. So they can it can implant kind of that curiosity of like, huh, this is interesting. I didn't know about this even working for Delta Green. What's going on here? And if they try to dig deeper, they're going to hit roadblocks from Delta Green. And then if you if you run Ex Oblivione after this, they can find a lot of this information out on their own and really then be be put into a dilemma here. Okay, Delta Green has a dark past and they've done some really bad things too in addition to the good things that they do. Uh, and now they have an ethical dilemma to deal with. So I really like the tie-ins to that and kind of makes for a longer running storyline. Maybe even, you know, eventually develop it into an agent going rogue against Delta Green because of how much this information turns them off from the program. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're if you're not in the program, then you're the threat. That's usually yep. how operations <laughs> go. So um, pretty much. But yeah, I mean, we haven't really talked about how the scenario concludes because it's such a sandbox it can go in so many different directions depending on how your group handles all of this information but yeah if they're able to stop um if they're able to stop silence and his abomination or if, if they're able to grab uh aerosalzo's bible or if they're able to find off uh if they're able to cut off access to this vault um that the the agents can be trapped in they can earn some sanity that way but as far as rewards go, then that's really it. There isn't much that the agents earn from going <laughs> through all the trouble of this operation other than the potential tie-in to Ex Oblivione. Yeah. Information is their reward, pretty much. Yeah. So, or, or sort of information. <laughs> the operation has pretty long-lasting repercussions depending on how how the agents handle their conflicts both with the church and the various politicians and the police and in the town of hourglass if they if they end up having a violent uh encounter either with the police or at the compound then that's going to bring in the national news and that's going to bring in a whole slew of problems in and of itself that the agents are likely either going to be kicked out of the program or they're just going to be thrown in jail, thus making yeah. them essentially useless. So how the agents handle it is certainly going to depend on, you know, their the repercussions of the operation. And you could potentially try to save a couple of the innocent people that are at the compound um, by by transferring the spirits of the sorcerers into other bodies. But personally, I don't really see that i don't really see that happening because not only is it hard to pull off it takes a lot of time and as yeah i just i don't think that would happen um as far as the kidnapping goes though that's something we haven't really touched on um how do you feel about this kidnapping the agent yeah so when they're in the compound and they're doing their investigation like we were saying earlier uh, depending on how the agents interact with Aerosalzo, he's going to either be friendly with them or he's going to uh, send his other uh, his other lackeys essentially to 
uh, tie up and capture the investigators and bring them down into the secret vault and commit mm. this ritual on them and either kill them or take possession of their bodies. Yeah. Um, being captured in in any game, whether even, even a deadly game like Delta Green or Call of Cthulhu, it's hard on the player because they feel completely helpless. And if there's no way for them to get out of it, it's even worse for them. Uh, so it's it's definitely a feel bad situation. Uh, I think I think it's something that you have to be very careful if you're going to implement that. And then the other thing is the possession portion. That part I don't care for. Uh, I feel like there's already several scenarios in Delta Green that have to do with possession and where agents potentially get possessed. And players don't like losing agency of their characters. They'd rather be shot in the head, their character be shot in the head, than their character be taken out of their control. That's that's something that's universal. And I feel like Delta Green does that a little too much. Even the, the scenario that you know naturally follows this, Ex Oblivione, there is an element of that where an agent can lose their character. And it's one thing, like, Delta Green already has the insanity mechanics so already you you take agency from players when they reach those thresholds and they reach their breaking point they have to act in a certain way but at least they have you know you tell them okay your agent is now paranoid and they have that freedom to manifest that in whatever way for the most part you know whereas something like a full possession is something that's completely taken from them and it makes it really hard on the player because they, they're not doing anything. You're doing everything uh, for them, and they have no control, and it doesn't feel good as a player. So I don't I don't like it, and I don't like that it's such a common thing in Delta Green. Yeah, I, I overall agree with you. I do think that you could potentially implement this pretty well, depending on the circumstances. I think if you were capturing all of your players, and this was sort of like the end of a campaign... Perhaps, mm. you know, you kill them all off and, it, and it's kind of like in this dramatic, like, ritual. That might be kind of cool. That could be cool. That could be cool. But, you know, I think barring barring that, um, like you said, Vase, you know, taking player agency is a very fine line that handlers should be should be treading because you don't want to you don't want to ruin the game for your players because that's the whole reason they're there is to have fun. And my gripe about this scene is that there's already so much sanity loss from all of the stuff that happens from the ritual and from um, from silence who will ultimately also be at this ritual you, you know the players can easily lose you know 15 plus points of sanity very quickly so they're going to be losing their agency in that regard and then if they get possessed then it's just yeah, it's just a feel bad moment. I would agree with you there. Yeah, and I don't if think everyone... it's sorry. Uh, I was just gonna say it doesn't really serve a narrative purpose either. Like if it serves some sort of grand narrative purpose, then I think that would be fine. But yeah. the the players and they're either gonna die and learn that, you know, these were like evil sorcerers who have been possessing people for centuries, or or it just it ends up kind of being a wash, right? Mm -hmm. They get captured and then they kill the the captors and then that's it. Yeah, and I think if, that's kind of anticlimactic. I agree. If it's everybody captured and they're all going to die, 
if they have no chance of escaping, end the session there and then just narrate, you know, give a narrative ending as to what happens with the final ritual or whatever. Um, if it's one person, I wouldn't even do it. <laughs> Uh, because again, it's just, unless there's a way for the other people, like somehow they know where he's at and they're going to try and save him and they run a rescue operation that might work. Um, but that player is going to be bored sitting there, not doing anything for a bit, you know? Yeah. You Um, could try to like use an NPC in that regard. If that's the route you want to go, you know, like say you have an NPC captured, but then you have to establish that NPC within the narrative in and of itself. And while it's certainly possible, like I said, I just I don't think there's much reward to it, you know, overall. Yeah. So I agree. So I mean that's really how the scenario concludes, right? Is you know, yep. they they either get captured or they find out this investigation and then kind of wrap things up from there. Um you know, they can they can either deal with the church or they can kind of just let the church do its thing, essentially. Um yeah. and what happens from there is kind of up to the handler, I would say. But, um, but why don't we go into the things that we we like about Hourglass? So, first thing I like the small town horror is done really well. Uh, it feels like one of those stories where you like arrive at the town and then something just doesn't feel right, but you can't tell what it is, and then it builds up little by little, kind of a slow burn type of thing, like you mentioned earlier. I really enjoyed that aspect of it. I thought that was really well done. Uh, The 12-year-old boy being so evil, it really creates a difficult situation for the agents because how do you handle that? You can't kill the kid, you know? Uh, I guess you can, but it's a real ethical dilemma that I think is very nicely incorporated in this scenario because that 12-year-old is actively trying to stop the agents from doing what what they need to do. Uh, I also really like the Easter eggs. There's a few Easter eggs and uh, things that the agents can find at the end of the scenario, like the Insmith info and the link to Ex Oblivione. I really like that. And there's a couple of extra things in throughout the scenario that I that I enjoyed with that, like the the tie-ins to Shabnigurath and and that kind of stuff. Um, and then a lot of people ask how you can make Delta Green work with, you know, technology being a thing and cell phones being a thing. How Call of Cthulhu, you know, there's no cell phone, so it makes it easier to run, like, horror. But I don't think so. I, I think this scenario proves that it can be done, and not just that it can be done, but it's a great way to show how technology actually adds complexity to the unnatural. Like, with the cell phone video going viral, like, now you have this whole situation where you have to contain this video so it doesn't spread and cause panic around the world because this lady just outright disappears. So it creates uh, an extra layer of complexity, and I really like how that works in this scenario. Yeah, it should Uh, never be about how you find the clues. It should be about what the clues represent. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, I also, my favorite thing I mentioned earlier, the meth family Robinson. It's super cool. I, It feels like a really difficult situation, difficult to run if it's not handled properly, but um, it's just so cool. I really, really enjoyed the meth family Robinson. It's my favorite part of the scenario. I thought that it, it was very well done and something out of left field that the agents are not going to expect. Just completely unrelated in a way to the rest of what's going on this meth family but they were used as pawns 
by the bad guys to try and co- and stop the agents. I love that aspect of it. I thought that was super well done. Yeah, I did uh, too. That was one of my favorite parts about uh, about this operation too. It's just that curveball. It's not even like a red yeah. herring. It's just a a plot device that the keeper can use to escalate tension, which I always yeah. really like in operations that, especially an operation like this, that's a very slow burn, very role play heavy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're talking to you're talking to local townspeople and police chiefs and you know churchgoers and that can be while that can be fun you know that too much of that certainly kind of makes people glaze over after a while and being able to introduce this when it's convenient or when it's you know most dramatic is awesome and it fleshes out the small town feel because there are a lot of these small rural towns where you have drug families that you know, because it's harder in a small town for police to actually handle a big operation or, or a big drug operation like that. There are a lot of like families that are in the drug business in small towns, either cooking meth or growing weed or whatever. And they can be extremely violent when confronted. And I think it's a it adds a lot to the flavor of this small town as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um I mean, that was a criticism we had had of a Call of Cthulhu scenario that we recently reviewed, is that the small town just felt plain and boring and unfleshed, but that is definitely not the case here. This town is very well fleshed out, and one thing that I really liked, too, is that there's a a small... It's not really a handout, but there's like a small section that is just called Featured Characters, and it just gives you a huge list yeah. of all the various people that the uh, the players might meet, which is super handy. Yeah, I'm sure Vase is showing it on screen right now. It's I am <laughs> very handy. Uh, it's super cool. It also gives you page number references, which I really like. Mm-hmm. I hope that they continue to do something like this in future. Yeah, operations. that's a good. That's a really good point with this with this featured characters thing. That is such a handy tool, especially in a scenario as difficult as this one and as big as this one. Suit and with page numbers, that is really good point, Nate. I should have put that in my likes too. I mean, you have <laughs> so many people on this list. You know, you're looking at over twenty something names, and for a handler to be able to keep track of all of that is gonna be difficult without something yeah. like this. So good and on the page numbers, man. Yeah, that's the page yeah. numbers are super handy. Yeah, super super handy. So good on them for putting that in there, and you know, all the stats and stuff are good. Um, one thing I I didn't like so much was that there really wasn't any handouts. You yeah, have, you have the video, weird, huh? you have the, you know, you have that audio recording, but those, you know, those obviously don't come included. So yeah. you either have to make them yourself, or you have to be able to, uh, you know, role play them out in some way, which is kind of disappointing because yeah, um, summarizing it doesn't work. It doesn't have the impact as. You know, it's something like that. Like you want people to experience it. You don't want to just say, "Oh, you watched the video and this happened." Like you, that does that takes away from the horror aspect of it because they're that horrific. That middle part where it's an hour, like that, if delivered properly, can lead to a very horrific moment or a very like startling, like whoa. <laughs> uh, it, but if you're just gonna say this happened in the video, like that, doesn't have as much of an impact. Um, there's a scenario from, it's actually from Call of Cthulhu that I ran for Delta Green, uh, called, um, uh, 
uh, what is it? Ladybug, Ladybug. Um, and it's in this book that's meant for Call of Cthulhu modern, in modern times. It's called The Things We Leave Behind or something like that. Um, so that, that scenario has a video scene and it's done really well. It's so it's creepy. I ran it for Delta Green for my group and they, like literally some of them got goosebumps from it. Like it was a very chilling scene. So that's something that you wanna, I, I think in this scenario, because it's so such a slow drip, you want these moments to really make an impact, and therefore you want to uh, deliver them properly. And I think that I wish that this adventure, or this scenario, would have done a little bit of a better job with that. I agree with you on that, Nate. Um, are we done with the good with the good things? Are we going to move on to the things we would change? Yeah. Or did you have anything else? No. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so I've got a bigger list of things I would change on this one, unfortunately. The biggest thing, I think, um, this one can drag on if you're not careful when you run it. Uh, it's very sandbox. Sandbox is not something that my group cares for. They don't know how to handle it properly. And I myself, as a, as a handler or game master, I don't like sandboxes. They're too sandboxy. They, they're too hard on the handler. They require a lot of work, a lot of planning ahead, a lot of note keeping, and you're going to be shuffling through notes because people are going to go one way that you didn't plan on them going to the following session. It's, it's something that's very, very uh, difficult to handle. And then on top of that, it can drag on if the players harp on something that's unimportant. Uh, so there's a lot going on. It can get confusing for both the handler and for the for the agents because there's so much information like you just guys just saw the list of characters alone can get complex there's not that many delta green scenarios that have such a large list of of player of, of uh the dramatis personae right so it's it's something that can get extremely confusing and extremely convoluted if you're not careful so make sure your players are taking meticulous notes and even then it can get a little bit difficult so uh, find ways to manage that for sure uh, it's complex it's difficult to run there's a lot of moving parts and the parts are moving at different speeds and that's the other thing that makes it complicated so again something that's that makes it very difficult to run and something I would definitely probably make it a little more concise or make it easier on handlers and players uh, tables and side blocks with bullet points with the dates of the deaths of each individual that died and things like that would have made it a little bit easier to absorb so that's something I wish they would have done uh, again we talked about in, in a previous review we talked about how good it how well this was done in several Delta Green scenarios including um, Del Kali Kaligati did a good job with that and a couple others um, laying out tables of different events and different things just to make it easier to run because it's already complex enough. The layout itself um, of the scenario I didn't care for either. The intro feels like a, a bunch of notes that kind of were meant to be put together into a more cohesive and narratively easier format but it, it just was left as notes it's it feels weird to me like when you read the intro to this the way it's written feels very strange to me I didn't like how it was presented so I would change that and then we talked about 
we talked about the agent possession, uh, so I'm not going to rehash that. But uh, the the last thing I, I think I would change is the uh, or two more things. So one thing is the the agents. There's some information that's really hard for them to find. So there's like tidbits thrown in in different places, and you're supposed to piece them together. So like you'll speak to one person. And they'll give you this little tidbit, which is somehow connected to this other thing you find in a book when you research the library. As a player, you're not going to remember to tie those things together. You're not going to you're not going to put two and two together with that. It feels like only the most advanced players are going to be able to do something like that with some of the information. So I feel like that can slow it down even further as a sandbox because there's going to be stuff that either you're going to straight up have to tell them, hey, by the way, remember this, this connects to this. Or, which sucks to do, <laughs> or, you know, the agents are not going to figure it out and they're going to have to get stuck and move on to different things. There's a lot of areas where they might just get stuck. Uh, and, and then the final thing is um, that I would change is some page references for the spells and the rituals would have been nice. Like, there are spells that are mentioned in here and there's like, some of them aren't even given to you. Uh, they, they just tell you this this thing can cast this spell and it's in the handler's guide and they don't give you the page number they don't tell you where to find it and they don't give you the actual spell or the ritual in the adventure they don't like show it in there so I that's something that I wish they would have done because it, it's kind of baffling that they didn't that they would just reference something and not tell you where to find it mm-hmm. so so those are my those are the things I would change all all things that can easily be fixed with a you know version two of this or like you know a revision um yeah so that's that's pretty much it for me what about you what kind of things would you like changed on this i think for me uh one aspect that i didn't care for so much about the church uh particularly well the church members specifically as i didn't like how much magic they had like i get that they're sorcerers and stuff but my god like they have so much power (laughs) over the agents that i it feels pretty unfair to like be using these spells as the as the operation suggests you should be using them because it's going to rob the players of a lot of agency if you're constantly casting mind suggestion and possession and things like that over them and i i think that that doesn't really add a whole lot to the creepiness of the town which i think is the more interesting aspect of this operation is like the the slow drip of the church being this menacing thing and then all of a sudden that's when you find out that they're all sorcerers but having them kind of tail the investigators around for a session or two and having them cast these spells on them just i don't think really does a lot narratively and i think will just rob the players of their agency and just not be a great time so i would i would suggest that you tone it back a bit from what the scenario suggests and be very careful about using magic against the players um another aspect i didn't care for as much is the whole witch warlock thing i know we've talked about this in the past i'm not a huge fan of that personally so if it was me maybe i would change that background if i planned on running this but that's totally up to personal preference um and then the other thing is that I would probably change is just the pace of the game in general. I would try to speed it up pretty quickly. Yeah, it can, it can, like you said earlier in the review, it can be a one session scenario or it could be a six session scenario. 
there's really not even a way for you to know. Yeah. <laughs> because the agents can literally take the reins here, and if you don't reel them in, you can go on and on, and it'll just drag. And if it drags too much with nothing happening, I'm telling you, by the end of the second session, you're going to have people already thinking, I'm, I'm going to miss the next session. There's no way I'm going to play this anymore. Because there's not enough events to keep them engaged. If you're just playing two and a half hours, three hours, one session, and they're just finding out information, cool. It's the intro, it's the beginning. Session two, they're just learning more info, learning more info, research, 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 still no events. At that point, they're already going to be like, oh my God, this is really dragging on. And if that if that third session is like that too, with no major event, that's it. You're not going to make it to session four. That's just the way it's going to go. <clears throat> yeah, totally. I mean, like you said, the scenario doesn't give you enough to really flesh it out past, I would argue, two sessions, right? One session yeah. they arrive, they find some information. Maybe you leave it off with some sort of like cliffhanger, whether it's with the Myth Family Robinson or you like have the revelation of them finding the thing in the library. You know, something like that could be a cool cliffhanger. And then the second scenario, you lead them into the church, have them investigate the church, and then end the scenario there, whether it's capturing and killing them or um, you know, letting them letting them solve the mystery. And I think that's kind of up to the keeper's discretion. Yeah. Um, in fact, I mentioned Ladybug, Ladybug. It has a very similar vibe to this, to this scenario with a, some of the same like beats in a way. I think if you were thinking of running this, read through Ladybug and then maybe consider running that instead. It's a really cool scenario that I think if you were thinking of running this, it's similar enough that you wouldn't want to run both of them, but you can run Ladybug for Delta Green very easily. I did, and it's a very easy conversion. Uh, and it, I think that one plays out much better. There's a lot more points in the story where where it's interesting, and it will keep things more moving along and more interesting than this one would. So that's, <laughs> I'd hate to say that. I'd hate to refer you to a different uh, system for this, for a similar vibe to this adventure, but I would definitely recommend running that instead of this one if you, if it's something that you would be willing to do as a handler. Yeah, I think my last criticism is on the same beat, is that there just isn't a lot going on despite its open-ended nature. You know, I think... There's no, there's no like ticking time bomb, right? There's no, there's no incentive really for the players to hurry up and finish this investigation. Other than perhaps any like arbitrary one that they make for themselves. And the church can just sit back and let the PCs just kind of middle around in town and not really figure out anything. And, you know, like you said, it just kind of drags on and there isn't really a lot that the operation gives you to really move the pace of the scenario forward other than the Meth Family Robinson, so. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. It's, um, have you read Ladybug or no? I've, I remember it and I, I remember Seth Gorkowski did a video about it, but other mm -hmm. than that, I haven't run it, so. Okay. Yeah, so we should review it here, uh, so then we can talk about it more. Because <laughs> now that we've done this one, I, I, you know, it's 
is very similar, but it's just it, that's the kind of thing I wish this one had. Like mm-hmm. there's there's portions that occur or things that occur in portions of the scenario that keep it moving along and keep it interesting. And instead of a sandbox, I, I like that kind of thing much better because it keeps the story moving along. It keeps things interesting. Sandboxes are some people really love sandboxes. Sandboxes are good for people that are into like open world video games and that kind of stuff. It's not my thing, and I totally get it. If it is your thing, it's I'm not saying it's that you're wrong, but for me, I like a story to just have a beginning, middle, and an end, and that's just not necessarily easy to do in a sandbox. And it, in fact, it creates a a thing where you're just twiddling your thumbs and trying to figure out what to do next. And I, I just don't care for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. I think for the most part, well, certain sandboxes, um, I think give a lot of options for the handlers to, to kind of keep the, you know, keep the story going. There's enough going on in each location and it's well fleshed out enough that you you can construct a narrative without really having to, you know, shoe your shoehorn your players in one direction or the other, but but this operation just doesn't give mm-hmm. you enough to really do that, which is a little disappointing in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so overall, I think Hourglass has some interesting aspects to it, and I really like the the idea of tying one scenario in a book to the other without it necessarily being a campaign. I think that tie-in is really cool. It's just a little unfortunate that it doesn't do much more than that, I feel. Yeah, there's not enough meat on the bone for this one, I think. Uh, unfortunately, I would say it's one of my least favorite Delta Green operations. It's too bad. But, uh, you know, it's I, I have the I have black sides and I have the, the soft cover paperback because I love everything Delta Green. So even though it's one of my least favorite, it's still Delta Green, so it's still good. But... Um, it's one of my least favorites. So if you're running black sites, I would say my recommendation, make this one of the, (laughs) one of the ones you would put off to the side and only run if you, you know, (laughs) if you plan ahead and, uh, try to keep it short and keep it moving. I think, I think this one is best when you run it with Ex Oblivione and you keep this one kind of short, sweet and to the point. Yeah, and then you lead on to Ex Oblivione, which I I think is certainly the better of the two scenarios. Um, yeah, they question. have similar, they have similar story elements, I guess. Well, not really, but <laughs> kind of similar. The sorcerer and all this stuff, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I agree. It's the better of the two for sure. So I like that aspect of it, but this scenario more than others just has the potential to really derail the players into a into a slow unexciting investigation i think yeah agreed cool well, that has been our review for <laughs> hourglass um a bit of a unfortunate disappointment but i yeah. mean it's still a it's got a lot of potential for keepers that yeah. are looking to and maybe change some aspects of it or pull pieces from it i think there's certainly enough there you can kind of take bits and pieces that you like and run with those. Yeah, without question. Like I, we were talking before the, the review, and I would definitely use this, the Meth Family Robinson somewhere else without question. It's such a cool 
little encounter that I think it's worth putting into something, even if you don't run this scenario. So it definitely has cool elements for sure. That's going to conclude our review of Delta Green's Operation Hourglass. I've been your host, Nate. And with me was... Innkeeper Vase Odin from the Twisted Tentacle Inn. So now that we have finished Delta Green Black Sites, we'll unfortunately, uh, I guess fortunately for us, we'll be uh, kicking off into another collection of scenarios called Control Group. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be fun. There's some interesting scenarios in that one. So if you're unaware, Control Group is a uh, is a collection of scenarios intended for agents to be introduced into Delta Green. Whereas this one was a collection of scenarios kind of more intended for beginning handlers, control group, we would kind of argue is the opposite. But yeah. I guess you'll just have to <laughs> tune in and find out. All right, guys. Thank you very much. We'll see you guys very soon.